The reading for today is from the book of Exodus, chapter 12. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall mark for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell the whole congregation of Israel that on the tenth of this month they are to take a lamb for each family, a lamb for each household. If a household is too small for a whole lamb, it shall join its closest neighbor in attaining one. The lamb shall be divided in proportion to the number of people who eat of it. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a year old male. You may take it from the sheep or the goats. You shall keep it until the 14th day of this month. Then the whole assembled congregation of Israel shall slaughter it at twilight. They shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the lamb that same night. They shall eat it roasted over the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted over the fire with its head, legs, and inner organs. You shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. This is how you shall eat it, your loins girded, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it hurriedly. It is the Passover of the Lord, for I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike down every firstborn in the land of Egypt, both human beings and animals. On all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you live. When I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague shall destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be a day of remembrance for you. You shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord. Throughout your generations, you shall observe it as a perpetual ordinance. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be, be to, to God. God. Well, I don't know how many of you have just felt a little down in the dumps lately. That's perhaps putting it mildly. But for some reason, this week was the week for me. I took a week of vacation this week, and maybe I was down in the dumps because I was taking a vacation in the same place where I've been working. But one thing I've tried to do is to get outside every day. If you've read the church newsletter, you know that I've done a lot of work in my yard with my mother and my sister, and I've tried to take a walk every day, preferably in the beginning of the day when it's not so hot, and I can't walk in the evening because mosquitoes love me, and they come from miles away to eat away at my ankles. So on my walks, I've thought to myself and to God, please give me some information. Please give me some inspiration. I'm on vacation and I'm trying not to work on a sermon, but I know that Sunday's coming and I know I will have to deliver one anyway. So random things sometimes come together and give you a sermon. Some of you know exactly how that is. One morning when I was walking, I thought, maybe I should find some Shakira songs because they had done a piece about her on 60 Minutes the Sunday before, and Kathy and I had flipped past it, and I thought, I don't really know any of her music. So I went to Apple iTunes and just added the best of Shakira. And I listened to a few songs, and one of them flipped up on my phone and is called Waka Waka. 
And I thought, okay, I know that is what Fozzie Bear would always say. Uh, he was the bear comedian on The Muppet Show. Turns out that's not the reference she was making whatsoever. This is a song with a really good beat, really good rhythm, a lot of words I didn't understand because they were not in English. And the part I loved that I played over and over and over again, as I did my whole walk, I listened to no other song, was when she says, when you fall, get up, oh, oh. If you fall, get up, a, a. Samina mina zangalewa, this time for Africa. Samina mina, e, e, waka, waka, e, e. Samina mina zangalewa, this time for Africa. There I was going through Midtown Tulsa over and over again. Yeah, zamina mina, e, e, waka, waka, e, e. And after 30 minutes of that, I thought, I ought to figure out what I'm singing. Um, when I was little and I would hear words that I didn't understand, I would go and ask my older sister, is that something dirty? Um, because I've started learning when I would repeat words that I had heard on television, sometimes those words were not to be repeated. So of course these words aren't dirty. Turns out waka waka means work while you're walking. This is a Congolese dialect, it's a sub-dialect of another dialect. And samina mina means be brave. Be brave. Work while you're walking. Be brave. Be brave. What a wonderful thing to get into your brain over and over again in a time of pandemic when everything seems to be falling apart. Be brave. Be brave. Be brave. Be brave. Be brave. You probably know more about Shakira than I do. When I got here, I realized that at least two people in this room know more about her than I did, and they were telling me about some of her other songs. Well, you may remember that this Waka Waka song was the theme song of the 2010 FIFA World Cup series. And maybe you watched that. Stop the presses. I watched part of it. I almost never watched sporting events, but I found myself in South America at the time, you know, like you do, in 2010. It was about this time of year, and we were watching it on the last day of our Bolivian mission trip in the pool restaurant area. And I know I heard this song, I know it got into my subconscious because it seems like we swam and sat and drank sodas with ice cubes in them, which made most of us sick, which is a really bad idea. Don't do that in a foreign country, don't eat the ice. Anyway, so I felt like I was a part of this in a small way. I kind of remember that time in history. Why do we need to work while we're walking? Well, we need to put one foot in front of the other at this time. When we've lost all hope, when we've run out of gas, when we can't keep talking ourselves into a good mood, we've got to find something that's encouraging for ourselves. In Exodus, we see these people, the Hebrews, who were called to stop what they were doing one time a year for the rest of their lives and remember that God had rescued them from slavery. And as the centuries have moved forward, Jewish people do this every year at the Passover. They celebrate and remember what God has done in their lives in the last trip around the sun. Because God led the Hebrews out of slavery, they were supposed to remember always to live in right relationship with each other and with God, to care for the widows and orphans, and to follow God's commandments. Now, the Exodus story is one you probably know well. You've seen many movies about it. Maybe you were in a play about it like I was as a child. 
It's a great story. It's a story of good overcoming evil, of the underdog rising up and defeating the evil powers. Theologian Walter Brueggemann points out that in this Exodus story, we never read Pharaoh's actual name, but by golly, we sure know the names of the two women, the midwives, who disobeyed Pharaoh's orders and helped Hebrew baby boys to be born, Shifra and Puah. And what was Pharaoh's name? Oh, it's not in there. Two women who were at the bottom of the food chain in that land are remembered forever in the pages of the Bible by name. And through all of these plagues that had led up to the flight of Egypt, as they came to pass, the oppressed were starting to gain power. The oppressors were being defeated. Brueggemann says that it's not just these individual human oppressors, like Pharaoh, who were going to be overcome, but also the gods of the empire who sanctioned oppression and legitimate abusive policy. The gods of oppression are overturned in this story and the mountains are made low and the valleys are raised up. So even before the final plague, the death of the firstborn takes place, God instructs God's people to be ready to celebrate their salvation, which hasn't even happened yet. They were to be prepared to be dressed and ready to run. I would get the scripture that says, gird up your loins, and now those of you at home can explain what that is to your children. Well, what it means is put on your best running shoes, tuck your robe into your belt, eat the way your mother told you you must never eat, in a hurry, dressed, ready to run, ready to run from this oppression with your walking staff in your hand. The memory of the Exodus was meant always to invoke the feeling that leaving Egypt was a dangerous, frightening experience. And remember, God says, I am Yahweh who brought you out of Egypt. Okay, why, you ask, would God ask all of these people to put blood on their doorposts so that God could recognize which houses needed to be passed over? Wouldn't God knowing that, know that? The all-knowing God, wouldn't God know exactly what addresses to pass over? Maybe it was not so much for God or the angel of death, but for the neighbors all around us who were in fear of what was about to happen. And as twilight fell and they started working on that lamb, they could look across to the other houses across the gravel road and see those who were also trusting in God's promises those who participated in and continue to participate in the Passover rituals were wilderness wanderers dreaming of a better land. Are we not in the same position as they are right now? After the Passover, after the final plague, the chosen people chose to take this journey. They chose this wilderness of vulnerability, of mystery, and of anxiety. They chose anxiety as their way to salvation. Who here has anxiety? An article in Medium magazine that my good friend in Colorado recently passed to me really spoke to me. Um, I read all the comments at the end of it, and I usually don't like to read the comments on the internet after an interview or an article because you hear the good and the bad and people just start at each other. But most of the comments said this was helpful to me. This spoke to where I was. Dr. Pauline Boss describes the losses we're experiencing during this pandemic as 
ambiguous losses. And most of us can relate to those ambiguous losses. Of course, we don't want to diminish the fact that there are tangible losses going on right now, too. You may have lost someone you love. You may have lost your job. You may have lost your place to live. You may have lost your marriage. Interestingly enough, my friend in Colorado is an attorney, and she told me her partner in the firm who deals with family law has never been busier, sadly, helping people with divorces. So those are traumatic and disastrous, obvious losses. But these ambiguous losses are things that people are not going to send you a card about. You're not going to get a bereavement gift for these things. Things like your ability to socialize, those community structures that keep your life rocking along, like, like school or going to the gym or the aftercare where you take your kids or the coffee shop where you love to go and take your laptop and work. Or maybe being with your church family. Maybe you didn't get to have an in-person graduation this year. Maybe you didn't get to get married this year. Or maybe you did, but it was a very small ceremony that none of your friends and family could come to. Or maybe when that person died, you didn't get to have a funeral. So many of these rituals that we've missed would have been so healing for us. And if you're like me, you're losing track of time especially when the weather report says that by Wednesday we're supposed to be down in the 30s at night? What month is this anyway, and how long have we been doing this? It seems like it's hard to remember what month it is and what day it is because so many of the mile markers have been impossible to celebrate. <clears throat> so what can you do? Well, what you can do is what you can do. If you can't control the pandemic or the unrest in the nation, Control the things that you have power over. Think of activities that would bring you pleasure during normal times. Why do you think my family and I have done so much work in the yard and so many little home repairs? We can control a squeaky hinge. We can control, well, we can't control bamboo, but we're making a stab at it. Um, we can control the grass that is growing. We can mow it. We can clean up things. We can rearrange the patio furniture. Maybe you like to do art. Pull out one of those canvases that you have stacked up and put something on it. Maybe doodle while you're watching the news. It'll take your mind off of it. Maybe it's time to go in the garage and build something with the wood that you have left over from that time. Or how about helping someone else? How about groceries for your neighbor, whether they ask for it or not? How about volunteering over at Vernon AME Church where we're building a relationship? How about making 150 peanut butter and jelly sandwiches for the Day Center for the Homeless? Reverend Sarah P. Montgomery has come up with all kinds of mission activities that you can do as an individual or as a family. Easy things. Maybe you could look into one of those. It's something we're called to do anyway. It's a part of our commitment to our faith. God brought us out of Egypt, and we are called to remember our salvation. Now, we are Christians, and we remember that Christ is someone who grew up in the Jewish tradition. Jesus exodus, echoes this Exodus history when he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. He has sent me to announce good news to the poor, to proclaim freedom to the captives, sight to the blind, to let the broken victims go free, and to announce a year of favor from the Lord. That's in Luke. We can do this. We can get through this. Remember the Hebrews wandered in the wilderness 
for 40 years. How long have we been at this pandemic? Six months. And the Babylonian exile was a little over 75 years. So when you start feeling faint, buck up and remember your spiritual ancestors were very brave. They were very brave. They worked while they walked to foreign lands where they were enslaved, while they wandered in the wilderness wondering where their next meal would come from. There was a reason why they sat by the waters of Babylon and wept. Ah, remember that I am Yahweh, who brought you out of Egypt. David Wiggs has spoken recently about how hope is more of an active idea than it is just a feeling. If we hope, we are hoping expectantly. His phrase, expectant hope, has really stuck with me. Even in those times when I feel so down in the dumps, it's hard for me to pull myself out of it. We almost need to add the word trust in our explanation of what hope is. We hope and we trust that God will make it true. We're trusting that things will turn out okay. We're trusting that God is with us every step of the way as we walk and we work. Bergamon says hope is subversive because it rejects the reading of the present as reality. Hope, he says, is a form of protest. Did you know you were protesting when you were hoping? When you hope, you are trusting in something that goes against the facts and the predictions. You are hoping and you are planning on everything to be all right. We sat by the waters of Babylon and we wept. Yes, but remember, I am Yahweh and I brought you out of Egypt. You may have seen this on CBS this morning, just a couple of mornings ago, but Anthony Mason interviewed a series of artists who have become very busy during the pandemic, reacting to not only the inconveniences and the death caused by the pandemic, but also the racial unrest that is all over our country. Nicholas Smith is a 35-year-old man who worked for 12 years for the Disney Company, designing theme parks, which I can only imagine was a very lucrative job. Smith had gone to college to become an architect, and he was making good money working for Mickey Mouse and his friends. But every night and on the weekends, he would come home, and his way to relax was to draw or paint, which he had always loved to do, and always done on the side, but he's always thought, thought, I can't make a living at this. My call is to be an architect, and that's where my bread and butter is. But after the shooting of Trayvon Martin, he was so angry He took to his art, and his art became a form of therapy for him. And he was producing art that revolved around Trayvon and other shootings that had happened. He did a piece that went viral on Instagram. And talk about comments in the feed below it. It was a painting of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. in a hoodie sweatshirt. Some people loved the painting. Some people said, how dare you paint Dr. King in a sweatshirt? You've made him look like a thug. And Smith responded, why is a sweatshirt equal to being a thug? Why is a sweatshirt with a hood not just a way to stay warm on a fall day? He started realizing that his paintings that he was putting up on Instagram every Sunday were making people talk. They were making people have reactions. He got hate mail. He got positive responses. So now he calls himself an artivist an activist who's an artist. He quoted Nina Simone, who said, it's an artist's duty to reflect the times. 
So many movements in U.S. history have taken on a life of their own after a photograph or a painting has been published. Think of that one photograph of the shooting at Kent State or the woman in the depression surrounded by her three kids looking miserable and hopeless, the photo by Dorothea Lange. Converse Athletic Gear Company picked up Smith's paintings and shifted their fall sports apparel line and wanted to amplify Smith's paintings and his cause. So they decided to give all of their billboards throughout the fall in LA over to Smith's paintings. So they've been seen on freeway after freeway, bringing to mind the realities of this civil rights struggle. We sat by the waters of Babylon and we wept. Remember that I am Yahweh who brought you out of Egypt. Hank Herman was an investment counselor and a faithful Catholic who couldn't stand just sitting at home after he retired. And he started investigating what makes companies tick. He studied the supply chains of the big pharmaceutical giants and how they assist the vulnerable with ways of getting medicine so they don't have to go without medicine or go without groceries in order to get their medicine. Living in Dallas, he pulled a few strings and he called two non-for-profit groups who were able to work globally to donate to a small pharmacy, the St. Vincent de Paul Pharmacy in Dallas, not far from where I went to seminary at SMU. He was dedicated to getting a free pharmacy started so that people would stop rationing medicine for themselves or dying because they didn't have the money to take the medicine that they need. So now in Vickery Meadow, people can get their medications for free because of Hank Herman. Now, no narcotics are dispensed ever, but things like asthma medication and medication for diabetes, insulin, hypertension medications, and depression medications are given out. The pharmacy is on target to close this year, having given out 17,000 prescriptions to people in the Dallas area who qualify. While the reporter Diane Solis was there with the Dallas Morning News writing the article that I read about this place, a teenager with type 1 diabetes got her much-needed insulin, which would have been so expensive she couldn't have afforded it. Her Brazilian immigrant family asked the pharmacy staff to come out from behind the desk and stand on the carpet, socially distanced, but in a circle, so that they could pray a prayer of thanks in Portuguese to God for this life-saving medication. Remember that I am Yahweh, and I delivered you out of Egypt. Listen to your God. This is our motto. Your time to shine, don't wait in line, you've almost stepped over. Today is your day, I feel it. You've paved the way, believe it. If you down, if you get down, get up, eh, eh. When you fall down, get up, eh, eh. Samina, mina, zangalewa. This time for Africa. Samina, mina, eh, eh. Samina, mina, hey, hey. Samina, mina, waka, waka. Anawa, eh, eh.